You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for the Lord has come to test you. The fear of him may be before you, but you may not sin People stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh God in heaven, we pray your blessing upon the reading of your word and your law. Oh God, please strengthen us for having gathered today and having received your word. Sanctify us. May our lives be patterned after the scriptures. And please help us. Show mercy to the lost and impenitent. Today I pray they would be born again and receive the free grace of God. And we pray, dear God in heaven, that you would anoint the hearing and preaching of your word. In Christ's name, amen. So we are in the fifth commandment. This is the one pertaining to the honoring of mothers and fathers. In verse 12, honor your mother and father and that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so we're in the middle of this series on the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are the moral law of God. They are the constitution of nature, the natural law, and the Ten Commandments have abiding authority. They remain binding and they remain authoritative. The Ten Commandments are to us teachers, they are guides, and they set the pattern, they norm our lives, and the Ten Commandments, being teachers and guides, norming our lives, 
They point out our sin. And in pointing out our sin, they drive us to the Lord Jesus, our merciful Savior. And so as we're in this series on the Ten Commandments, I keep reminding you as I begin these sermons, is you will no doubt come under conviction. You'll feel guilty for your sin at some point or another during the sermons. And when you feel this sense of guilt or shame for your sin, you can't stay there. You have to go to Jesus immediately. You, I don't want you leaving church with a sense of guilt or shame for your sin. I want you leaving church being grateful that you have a Savior who forgives sinners. And so every time you hear the, you, you feel cut, you're cut by the law of God and it's needling around in your heart, run to Jesus as soon as you can and he will forgive your sins. He promises to if you go to him by faith. And so we're here in the 12th or the fifth commandment in verse 12. And last week we were there also, we were here also. And I looked at last week the definition of honor. And I provided a number of quotes and tried to define the concept, but I'll just try to summarize the definition of honor with this quote that I gave last week from Matthew Henry. And he said that it is a decent respect to their persons, an inward esteem of them outwardly expressed upon all occasions in our conduct towards them. There's honor. And I noted last week, as I'll note again this week, is that you're not the exception to the fifth commandment. It's amazing how many times you come to commandments in the Bible and people are like, well, I'm the exception. You don't know my story. You're not the exception. This commandment applies to you. People love to make exceptions for themselves and they love to declare that their children are exceptional also. My children don't have to abide by this or this one or the other one, but that's not the case. These have abiding authority. It is the law. Our concept of law in this day and age is very weak. We, we think the law changes, the law is in flux, but really the law of God is fixed. It is immutable. It's transcendent. It does not change. It is high in the heavens, and it transcends all time and space. So we looked at the definition of honor. We looked at the direction of honor. And the direction of honor is what? Up. It's up. You must honor your father and your mother. And as honor flows up, responsibility flows down. And so implicit within the fifth commandment is not just the honor that's directed up towards parents, but it's the responsibility that is directed down from parents to their offspring. So as honor flows up, responsibility flows down. And both, well, the honor is explicit in the commandments, the responsibility is implicit. And this is the case with all of the commandments. There's various assumptions that are made in them. And as you unpack them and you see them unpacked throughout the Bible, you see that um, these things are implicit. Both sides of the relationship are implied within the commandment. But the directive, the explicit directive in the commandment is that honor goes up towards parents. And because all of society flows from the family, the family is the basic unit, is the most sacred unit, the most sacred institution, but all of society flows from the family. The church flows from the family. 
the government, the state flows from the family. Everything flows out of the family. And so because honor is to be directed up in the family, it's to be directed up in society. So the scriptures instruct that honor be shown to church leadership and that honor be shown to uh, civil government also. And so there is to be an honor that is always directed up. So I looked at the definition of honor, I looked at the direction of honor, and then the derivative of honor. What is derived from honor? And when mother and father are honored, there is great blessing, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so there is longevity promised for families that honor the previous generation. So this generation that we live in, our day, is a, is a, it's a this generation generation. We don't think about the previous generation, and we don't think we're not characterized by thinking about the next generation. But in a, a biblical outlook, if you're going to obey the Bible, you're going to honor the previous generation, you're going to build on the previous generation, and then you're going to do so in a way that leaves something for the next generation to build on. And that is the blessing that flows from honor. That receives the power of God when that is your mindset. Is your, your family receives the power of God. The church receives the power of God, the blessing of God. And um, society does. Why, is, why are things deteriorating so fast in our day? Well, because people have not been taught to honor their parents from the first day of their life and onward. And so a dishonor of parents is going to be pouring out into the streets towards a dishonoring of history, a dishonoring of past, and a dishonoring of the institutions that those who came in the past built for us. And this is where we live, and this is what we're dealing with in the present, is a dishonorable society that is not, not under the blessing of God anymore, but is under the curse of God. It's under the curse of God. Your problems will not be fixed when there's a change of government in Ottawa. It might, it might slow down some rot for a little while, but this is not going to fix the problems of this country. The problems will be fixed when the hearts of the fathers are turned towards the children and the hearts of the children are turned towards the fathers. And that is a sign that the Holy Spirit of God is upon us when that happens. Is the last verse in the Old Testament promises. The hearts of the fathers shall be turned towards the children and the hearts of the children towards the fathers. And this might be among the most relevant of the Ten Commandments because we live in a day, as I've noted, whereby the next generation is expected to rebel against the previous generation with sneering contempt. Fifth Commandment violations are anticipated Often they are praised, they are celebrated in pop culture. It is seen, violation of the fifth commandment is seen as a rite of passage in our society. And so this might be among the most relevant of the commandments, the fifth commandment. And because this is so relevant, I'll note again, because this is so relevant, I guarantee I guarantee that the preaching of the fifth commandment will cut your heart. Don't put up the defense mechanisms. 
Instead, run to Jesus for mercy and repentance. And he will be kind to you. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm, I, I, I tried to exposit the commandment last week. I exposited the commandment this week. This week, I'm going to make applications. There was some application made last week, but this week I'm going to make applications, some specific ones. And I'm going to make applications to children, the children's relationship with the parents. Then I'm going to make application to teenagers' relationship with the parents. Then the young adults' relationship with the parents. Then I'm going to deal with some difficult situations, give you some principles to how to deal with some difficult situations. But in each context, here's the theme. Honor must be applied. How that looks for children is different than young adults, but honor must be applied. And so in whatever situation that you're facing with your parents, is you're thinking, how do I apply honor in this situation? How do I apply honor? It must be applied. One of the ideas of honor is that there's a weightiness that's attached to it, a respect and a reverence that's attached to it. How do you apply it in every situation? Honor must be applied. So let's talk for a moment about the children. The first point pertains to the children. How are children to apply honor? How are children to apply honor? Well, the primary duty of children, young children, is obedience towards their parents. If you look at Ephesians 6 verse 1, which should be on the screen, what does it say? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then verse 2 says, honor your mother and father. So, Paul grounds his commandment that children obey their parents in the fifth commandment. So Paul makes application of the fifth commandment by speaking to children directly, saying it is your duty, it is your job before the Lord to obey your parents. Now note the dignity of children in this passage that the Apostle Paul um, writes in Ephesians 6 verse 1. There's a dignity that's attached to children. Because the Apostle Paul addresses them directly. He doesn't address them through their parents. He doesn't address them through the minister of the church. The Holy Spirit of God, through his servant, the Apostle Paul, addresses the children directly. Children, obey your parents. And so there is a dignity that the Apostle Paul affords the children. And so... As the Apostle Paul did, so I do today, and I address the children of the congregation. Little children. Listen to me, little children. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Directly I say this. If you want to know what your duty is before God is a little child, it is to obey your parents in the Lord. That is your duty. That is your responsibility. There's nothing fancy about it. That's it. Obey your children in the Lord. It's simple. And you notice the, the little qualifier there, in the Lord. Obey your children in the Lord. Obey your children in the Lord. The Lord, this means that parents cannot forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. 
because the children are to obey their parents and the Lord. So if the parents command what God forbids or forbid what God commands, just as we do with other authority structures, for example, the civil government, then there is now a higher authority. It's the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that your parents can't make very practical rules for you in the home. Just because the rules aren't in the Bible doesn't mean that they can't make those rules. They're going to derive rules from Christian principles for your particular home. But what this is saying is that there is an ultimate high authority in the home, in the government, in society, in the church, and it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so little children are to obey their parents in the Lord. And what does obedience mean for little children? Well, I think there's a problem with a lot of kids and a lot of families that I observe, and that is that often the mom or the dad will tell the child to do something and then the child won't do it, and then, and then the temperature in the room gets raised, notched up a little bit, and then the mom and the dad tells the child more forcefully to do it. And they don't do it. Then it gets notched up even more, and then they tell them more forcefully to do it, and they don't do it. And finally, someone really gets excited, and then at that point, the child obeys, because now they know they have to obey. Now the child knows he has to obey. Well, that's not scriptural. The scriptural concept of obedience is first-time obedience. First time. It's, it's not mom and dad have to get excited before I obey. It's not mom and dad have to count to 10 before I obey. It's first time obedience so that obedience looks like this. Mom and dad should be able to say it in a very kind, sedated way, and it's done. It's done. A very kind, sedated way. Would you please do this? And it's done. That's what scriptural obedience looks like waiting till threats are made, waiting till it's the third, fourth, fifth time, waiting till somebody counts to 10, that's a fail, and it should be done cheerfully. Not rolling your eyes, not with murmuring or back talk or complaining or talking under your breath as you do it, or dragging your feet with a sullen look as your eyes point down to the ground. That's not obedience. Obedience is done cheerfully from the heart the first time. That's obedience. And until you've learned that, you haven't learned obedience. So little children, that's your job. That's the expectation that is on you as you consider your parents' commandments and you consider their authority in your home. And just as there is an honor that is to be directed towards parents by little children and that is the honor of obedience, also there is a duty that parents have towards their little children. Honor goes up, duty goes down, or responsibility goes down. Honor goes up, responsibility goes down. So the honor is to be directed up, and the responsibility goes down. And so as we think about this relationship between parents and children, what is the responsibility that parents have towards their children? Well, one of them is to teach them what I just shared with you and to make sure that that standard is upheld in your home and that you use the means that God's given you to ensure that that standard is upheld, that the, the children know that they don't. It's, it's not when mom gets really angry and excited. That's when they have to obey. It's when 
Mom just says it quietly, dispassionately. That's when they have to obey. And that's what you have to teach them and instruct them in in your home. Proverbs 29, verse 17 says, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. How many parents have I seen in grocery stores or the shopping mall and they're on edge constantly? They're not at rest with their children because their children are out of control. They haven't taught them this. So, the, the, you know, people, people won't do it. They're not taught. So Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And so you're teaching your children this concept because you want your children to be delightful to you. You don't want them to be this sore burden that so many children are in this society. And in fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, that says if you don't discipline your children, you're treating them like bastard children, illegitimate children. That's what you're treating them like. And so... It's an act of hatred towards your children to not teach them and discipline them this way. And as a rule, your discipline should always be fair, it should be measured, it should be loving. And you should always, I believe, that as a parent, as a parent, your responsibility towards your children is to minimize the number of rules that you have in your home. The Ten Commandments are sufficient. But some children, they have helicopter parents, and the children are bubble-wrapped. And there's rules about rules about rules, and more rules. And that's what the Apostle Paul calls exasperating your children. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And the, the standards should be consistent. They should be followed through upon but they should be, and it should be done in love, it should be measured, it should be fair, right? God's rules don't change, nor should yours. And it should be done in a way that doesn't suffocate them. Some parents are very overbearing, and they suffocate and they stifle their children. And some people will react to the loose style of parenting in the world, and they go to the other extreme. And then the kids are bubble-wrapped, and you've got helicopter mom there, helicopter dad. And you don't want to do that either. You, you often see that, and that's not a good thing. Parents are to provide for their children. That is a responsibility to provide clothing for them and food for them and spiritual and religious instruction for them and to ensure a proper education. So that means sending them to a good school or homeschooling them. And it means protecting them from dangerous people and creepos, including the creepos on the Waterloo Region District School Board. All right? And so if you, if you follow the news at all, you see that that particular institution is infiltrated by very dark creatures. And so one of the responsibilities of parents, I mean, it used to be, uh, just, just think about this for a moment before I move on to my next point. Back when I was a kid, if I was at a park and a strange man came up to me and talked to me about some of the things that public school teachers talk about children with, that man would be arrested. 
Okay, he'd be under investigation. But because they have a degree on their wall and they work for the Board of Education, it's okay. In fact, if a kid was at a park today and a strange man came up to them and talked to them about some of the things that the school teachers talked to them about, he'd find himself in hot water. But the magical degree and the magical position makes it all right. Well, all as I have to say is you need to protect your children from this type of nonsense. And you need to have them in a place where their consciences are being informed with truth and virtue and having the fear of the Lord instilled in them. And there's ways to do this. You can homeschool. We have a wonderful homeschool ministry here in the church. You can send them to a private Christian school, which we operate here, namely King Alfred Academy. But I, I don't think, I cannot see how you can be obedient to the Lord at this point and send your children off to a public school. Certainly in this community. Okay, it's time to leave. And so there we have the duties of children, the honor they're supposed to show their parents, and the responsibility of parents towards their children. Now let's talk about teenagers for a minute. I just talked about children, and remember we're applying honor, and we're applying responsibility. We're applying honor, and we're applying responsibility. Well, let's, let's talk about teenagers. Teenagers. Now, they're very similar to children. That is that they are to obey with joyful attitudes the first time. So if you're a teenager, that means no rolling the eyes, no murmuring, no grumbling. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Happy to do it. Want to make your day and want to make your life easy. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, if you want. But yes, it will be done. No rolling the eyes, no murmuring, no grumbling. But instead of getting directives like, don't run into the street, it's more like, don't go to that party, or don't hang out with those people, or don't date that person, or don't date until you're ready for marriage. Like, these are the type of things that parents are doing with teenagers. They're, they're trying to protect them from compromising situations that can awaken sinful desires in them that shouldn't be awakened. That's what parents should be doing with teenagers. And parents, teenagers should be looking at their parents and saying, they see the world better than I do. You're, you're walking around the world and you're seeing in one dimension, teenagers. You haven't seen what your parents have seen. You don't know what your parents know. And your parents are seeing the world through multi-dimensions. They see situations before they happen. They see where situations lead. They know, they have the ability to detect shady characters very quickly. And those shady characters can present themselves to you with sweet tones and sweet words and attractive dispositions. And your parents have a spidey sense that you don't have. And so you should be trusting your parent. parents. Parents can judge character better than you. And they see danger before you see danger. The little child will run out into the road with a car coming. Well, that's the parent must protect the child from that because they can't see the car coming. By the time you get to be a teenager, you can see the car coming so this hopefully is no longer an issue. But you can't see the danger coming through various relationships and situations that your parents are trying to protect you from. 
So see yourself as the little child running after the ball in the street. When your parents say, no, you're not going there. Yes, you can go here. No, you can't hang out with that person. No, you're not dating till such and such a time. No, you're not dating that person. You should be contributing to household chores, cleaning the kitchen, doing laundry, cleaning bathrooms, shoveling snow, mowing grass without the expectation of pay, but simply because you want to contribute to the household. You're a member of the household and therefore you submit to that and contribute to it. Often without even being asked. I see a job that needs to be done, I get it done. This is teaching you the weight of responsibility. You should be making yourself useful in your parents' home. Learning to hold a job, save money, manage money, be self-disciplined, tithe. Essentially making your parents' life a joy and desiring to grow in virtue and character. Not making your parents' life, why do we have to go to church today? Really? Thank you, mother and father, for taking me to church. I'm grateful that you want me to be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Right? Thank you for putting me in this home and giving me the privilege of serving and learning to serve by serving my family, by putting the dishes away or folding laundry or shoveling the snow or whatever. And the duty of parents, so the, the duty of, of the teenagers is up, the duty of parents is down, responsibility, it is to transition your children from the fear of discipline to the love of righteousness. Little children behave because they fear discipline. Teenagers should start to behave because they love righteousness. And so you're sowing the seeds of righteousness in their minds. When they're children, they behave because they don't want the bad consequences. When they're teenagers, they behave because they love to honor the Lord. And so there's a transition that has to take place between childhood and being a teenager. You should be teaching your children life skills like holding a job, managing a money, money, tithing, and you should be restraining them from sin. So restraining them from drunkenness, drugs, sexual immorality. You should be, you are the, you are the governor, okay? You're, you're putting a governor on their will. And so you're, you're restraining them from these temptations that are common towards youth. And that's what you should be doing. And that would include managing their phones. And I don't think, like, I, as a parent, I don't want to give my kids a phone until I absolutely have to. Like, why, why you say, oh, my kids are, aren't safe if they go out to this, this party, but then they can get in even worse trouble on their phone. So be very careful with that type of stuff. The level of pornography on phones is terrible that they can have access to are, are their computers and laptops. I don't think you, you're going to have to make your decisions in your own family, but in my opinion, the minute you give them electronics, is the, it just adds that much more work to, for as a parent to protect them, all right? And so there's kids that are 10 years old that have electronics that are looking at the most vile filth, the bottom of the sewer pornography every day on their phones. And we wonder why we have such a perverted generation because they're being taught this from the time they're little children because somebody gave them a phone and didn't govern the behavior on the phone. So you have a responsibility there. And I want you to remember 
that is it pertains to the parent's responsibility, that there's a story in the Old Testament about a priest named Eli who did not govern his, his young sons. They were sexually immoral drunkards. And he didn't govern them. And God punished Eli by killing his two sons. And that responsibility is yours to govern them. You have to govern them because there's deadly consequences if you don't. And so we've looked at the children, we've looked at the teenagers, let's talk about the young adults and what are we trying to do? We're trying to apply honor to various situations. Honor applied. Honor applied. How do you apply honor if you're a young adult? Well, young adults should be progressing towards self-reliance, towards a vocation, and if you're a wise young adult, what you'll do is you'll let your parents help you with that because they'll be able to assess your gifts and abilities in a way that you can't. And so your parents should be able to steer you in the right direction. Well, this probably isn't most suited for you. This will be more suited for you, and this is how the world works, so you'll want to probably venture out in this direction as your parents steer you towards vocation. You take, as a young adult, and you apply honor, you take wisdom, parental wisdom, into deep, serious consideration, and you typically follow through with it, and any disagreements with your parents should, should possess the utmost respect. They should be respectful disagreements that you have with them, if you do have them at all. And most time, if the parents and the children are on the same page as far as possessing the fear of the Lord and having the Holy Spirit, the disagreements will be kept to a minimum. Because the Lord will unite your hearts together. You should be asking for advice and counsel and wisdom on regular occasions with your parents, especially as you face various decisions. And by this point, the parents should be reaping a benefit to their labors. So if you see parenting like farming, the farmer, you know, he, he turns over the soil and he puts the seed in the ground and he makes sure the soil is healthy and watered and fertilized. And then eventually what does he do? He, he reaps fruit. There's fruit to be eaten from the soil. Well, by this point, things are coming to maturity. And so there should be a level of blessing that is now falling on your parents. And as Thomas Watson said, he said, children are the vineyard of the parents planting, and honor done to the parent is some of the fruit of the vineyard. And so see yourself as the fruit of the vineyard. You are now there to bless your parents. And you should be looking for ways as a young adult to tangibly honor your parents with words and actions. And the parents should be becoming mentors who influence on the basis of relationship. And if the relationship by this point has been helpful or um, healthy with health cultivated, it's been cultivated and properly managed with wisdom, this will slowly take place. There'll be bumps along the road in a, in a sinful world that we live in. But if the relationship has been properly cultivated, this will take place. There'll be challenges, no doubt. Everyone has them. But it will, it, will, it will take place if the relationships have been cultivated. If the relationships haven't been cultivated, it will be very difficult. But as it pertains to young adults, I think I need to make mention, I do need to make mention about picking a spouse, finding a wife or a husband, and how you honor your parents in that. 
And when it comes to picking a spouse, if you, if you look at scriptures, this warrants an entire sermon in and of itself. But I'm not, and I'm not going to do that today. This is a sub-point of a main point. So I'm trying to give you a broad overview. But when it comes to picking a spouse, and as you look at the scriptures, the families are actively involved. It's like we live in this age where we're, it's, it's every, the, the only thing that governs relationships at this point is, is romantic feelings. Oh, I love her. She loves me. We're in love. But, it, but as you look at the scriptures and you see relationships progress that lead towards marriage, the families are actively involved. At the most basic level, it's the union of a couple, but on the broader level, it's the union of families and it's the bringing together even of communities together. And so the families are actively involved. This is why a wedding is, is typically a public event. Why do we read the bands of marriage before a wedding? As we, even as we did today and we do multiple times throughout the year. Because it's the community's responsibility to evaluate the suitability of the couple. And this is why I'm opposed to couples coming up with their own vows at weddings. Because it's showing a level of breaking away from the traditions of the community. And it, the wedding is, is the time when the families, the communities come together. And there's, at the most basic level, it is the union of a husband and a wife. But at the broader level, it is the bringing together of families with new relationships and new alliances and new people learning to work together. And it ties the social fabric of the society together. And so this isn't, at the most basic level, an individual personal thing, as we like to consider it in our modern world. And any type of dating relationship or courtship, call it what you want, should take place within the common areas of the family home. There should be um, much interaction with the parents and the suitors, and the parents need to operate uh, in a way that protects the couple from their passions and that evaluates the potential suitors. And so that when the suitor leaves, the parents should have freedom to discuss, you know, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this gal? Do you think we're suitable for one another? And so there should be a mutual back and forth between parents and children on these particular issues because, again, your parents have seen a lot of marriages succeed and they've seen a lot of marriages fall apart. And so they know better than you. You know, at, at 20 years old, you know very little about relationships other than you have raging hormones. You don't understand what your parents understand and you don't see what they see. And for the sake of your, like if, if somebody gets divorced, put it this way, if somebody gets divorced, it doesn't just accept, affect the couple. It affects the families. Everyone is affected. It's a breakdown, not just of the couple, but of the families. And so if it affects the families, if there's a divorce, it affects the families if there's a successful Fruitful marriage, so the family should be involved. Different roles, different responsibilities, of course, but the family should be involved. And children should be asking their parents what they think, and parents should be freely discussing these things, and these should be welcome and open discussions. Genesis, in Genesis chapter 28, 
This is precisely what Jacob did with the instruction of his father Isaac. It says in Genesis 28, verses 1 through 3, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. That's what Jacob did. Remember who was the blessed and who was the cursed son? Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Well, what did Esau do? Well, Esau in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34 through 35, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Eli, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. You know, if you don't marry the right person, it's not just going to make your life bitter, it's going to make your parents' life bitter. And your dad's going to have to sit there and look at him at Thanksgiving with a knife in his hand. <laughs> you know, you want to talk about restraining passions? As William Perkins, he's considered the father of Puritanism, said, he says, Moses plainly teaches that the consent of the two parties is not sufficient unless they also have the free consent of their parents. In the choosing of a spouse, I believe the parents, especially the father, have veto power in most situations. Now, there's a different relationship between the, da the, 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 the young lady and her parents and the young man and his parents, as you see that in the Bible. That's for another discussion. But a wise son will listen to his father's and mother's advice, and a wise daughter will listen to her father and mother's advice. A foolish child will have complete flagrant disregard. Now, is in all human authority, there are exceptions to that rule. But those exceptions are rare. And that's for another discussion. They're rare. Now, as you hear this, you're like, oh, arranged marriage, forced marriage. No, no, no. Parents don't have the authority to force a marriage or arrange a marriage. That's an abuse of authority. But parents have the authority to approve of a marriage before it's entered upon or to disapprove of a marriage. Like when the father is bringing the daughter forward at a wedding and he's handing the daughter over to a groom, that shouldn't, that shouldn't be just a mere formality. That's reality. That is what it is. And to make it a mere formality where the father has to do it, he's got to grin it and bear it. is to completely rob the father and the family of their responsibility and their authority. So I've told my kids, I won't tell you who to marry, but I'll tell you who not to marry. And inviting parental involvement in selecting and discerning a suitable spouse is a crucial aspect of honoring your mother and father. Absolutely crucial. So I've talked about Children, teenagers, young adults, let's talk about your, honoring your parents in their old age. How do you apply honor there? 
Well, you must care for their parents in old age. I mean, the Bible say, or the Bible didn't say it's a, it's a common saying that's true, once a man, twice a child. And so when the parents take on the second childhood, the children become the parents. Jesus upholds that as a proper application of the fifth commandment in Matthew 15. And in fact, the Pharisees attempted to nullify that application for the sake of their traditions. And Jesus said, no, you must uphold that application. It is the duty of children to take care of aged parents who are entering their second childhood. Nullifying that application puts you in the place of the Pharisees, not in the place of Jesus. A previous generation outsourced this responsibility with old folks' homes. However, after the COVID lockdowns, hopefully we can see that those are not the ideal option. Many people were forced to die alone, maybe died of loneliness. And I think the old folks' home concept, I don't think it's the best option. I also think it is a concept that depletes the family of its wealth. As opposed to families working together with their wealth together, the old folks' home takes the family's money. And, you know, if you're spending $10,000 a month to put someone up in an old folks' home, you think about how far that could go towards renovation on a home or various things that need to be put into place in order for someone to, families to buy houses together or whatever. Your parents fed you, so you should feed them when they need it. Your parents housed you, so you should house them. Your parents changed your diapers, so you might have to change theirs. And in nature, apparently the storks care for the aged when the aged can no longer fly. And Jesus himself Jesus himself, as he was hanging on the cross, sought his own mother's care. He said in John 19, verse 26 and 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own house. So before Jesus died, he made sure that his mother was taken care of. Matthew Henry says, endeavoring in everything to be the comfort of their parents and to make their old age easy to them, maintaining them if they, if they stand in the need of support. There is a great blessing materially and spiritually for multiple generations to live together. And this shouldn't be difficulty if all are regenerate. There's challenges that are posed when people are operating on two different playing fields and from two different foundations. But if the generations are regenerate. They know the Lord and love the Lord. This shouldn't be terribly difficult. Accommodations will need to be made, but this is part of life. And I think practically when you consider where you will live as an adult, you should consider these things. Near, nearness to your parents or nearness to your children. Should they need you or you need them? Parents might need to consider moving near children or children might need to consider taking jobs and taking up residence near parents for this reason. This is part of working together and living in a way that the family is accessible to each other. And so what have I done? I'm talking about the application of honor. The application of honor to, for children, to parents, for teenagers, to parents, for young adults, to parents, and then when your parents are old and aging. Now let's talk about all the difficulties and problems that come from all this. And I think there's just some, I'm not gonna address every issue, because I just think there's some principles you have to apply. 
with the difficult situations. How do you apply honor to the difficult situations? Well, the reason for the commandment, the fifth commandment, is because we have sinful and selfish propensities to avoid difficult situations. So the tendency is to think, well, I'm the difficult situation. My situation is the problem. But I think the commandment is given because we have the propensity to seek ease and not to uphold duty. We like the path of least resistance. However, some parents have sinned in very evil ways against their children. And this is a terrible reality in which we live, very evil ways against their children, which should never be done. And I think in such situations, you have to take similar principles and apply them as we did during the COVID lockdowns. There is no authority that's ultimate, only God himself. And while we are told to honor the government in Romans 13, when the government starts to abuse us, we still have to figure out how to honor the government without allowing ourselves to become prey to their abuse. So, I believe that we were abused terribly by our government still continue to be as our matters are still before the court. However, I think everyone in this church who has been fined or ticketed continues to, you know, try their best to be honorable citizens, right? No one's standing up and cursing the rulers. And in fact, one of the things the Lord has convicted me of is I've tried to be more thankful for my, our government in my prayers for the good that they do do because it's not all bad. And one of the goods that they do is we are certainly better off with this government than we would be with anarchy. And so we can be grateful for that. And so I think that there is, there is room here to move yourself out of situations where there's threats or where there's harm. Some situations, however, the sins are not as serious and 1 Peter 4, verse 8 tells us, love covers a multitude of sin. I've seen, I've seen people, you know, come to their parents and come up to them with a grocery list of sins they need to repent of, and until they repent of those sins to the children, then the children will have nothing to do with them. And the grocery list of sins is, is stuff that could be just overlooked. Look, people are difficult to deal with, including parents. Right? And so some sins need to be overlooked, but there are sins that are so terrible that they cannot be. Other sins are more offensive and terrible, and they put people at risk, and so you have to consider the fact that you have not just the responsibility to your parents, but you have a responsibility to your spouse, you have a responsibility to your children, and you even have a responsibility to protect yourself. And so you might need to put a shield up or a barrier between them and you or them and your family in certain cases, because there is danger, just like we did with our government when we resisted them. And with all of these competing duties, you've got to figure out how to honor your parents in your situation. I think the example of Noah is a really good example. Noah and his sons, rather. If you remember in the book of Genesis, after Noah got off the ark, what did he do? He got drunk and he slept naked in his tent. So he sinned, and he disgraced himself. It was dishonorable what he did. 
And his two sons, Ham and Japheth, walked, or sorry, his one son, Ham, walked into the tent. He saw his father drunk and naked, and he made a big deal about it. He, and he shamed his father for his father's sin. Well, Shem and Japheth heard what Ham was doing and heard what had happened, and they got a blanket, and they walked into the tent backwards, and they covered their father's shame. And they walked out, and they didn't make a big deal about it. Well, Ham's descendants were cursed because of what he did. Shem and Japheth's descendants were honored. Their days were long in the land that the Lord their God gave them, even as they dealt with their father's sin. And they covered his nakedness, and they covered his shame. It's interesting that, however, that Moses himself was a descendant of Shem, one of the good sons. So that means that Noah was Moses' father indirectly, you know, through several generations. And so Moses has a responsibility to honor his father Noah, just as Shem, Ham, and Japheth had a responsibility to honor their father Noah. And yet Noah, knowing the, or Moses, knowing the reality of the situation, took the story about Noah and put it on the pages of Scripture. And so Moses was able to live in the reality. He didn't, he didn't whitewash his father's sin, but he was able to present the facts in a way that did not unnecessarily dishonor his father the way that Ham did. And so you have to figure out how to apply that with your various situations. But what you need to be very careful about, especially as it pertains to your relationship with your parents, is that you not become bitter, no matter what the situation is. So Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So if you're dwelling on your parents' sin, if you're churning over your parents' sin, if you're complaining about your parents' sin, if you're constantly reflecting upon your, barren, your parents' sin, this is bitterness. This is bitterness. Your kids will see your hearts spill into their lives, and they will learn these lessons from you. What your kids should see is you living in an unideal situation, a painful situation, and trying to figure out and wrestle in your mind before God, how do I honor my parents even though this is a real problem? And if your kids see that, then that will spill onto them. And it will be that much easier for them to honor you. But what you don't want to do is become bitter. You want to take this promise of the new covenant seriously, where it says in Malachi Chapter 4, verse 6, which is the last promise of the Old Testament, the father's hearts, the hearts of the fathers shall be turned towards their children and the hearts of the children towards the fathers. Your kids will learn to talk and walk by your example. Your kids will learn to honor their parents by your example. They take on your dialects. Okay, there's nobody that was raised in a, in a home in this neck of the woods that takes on, you know, the, the Queen's English or a deep southern drawl. They learn your dialect, and they will learn how to honor their parents from you by your example. And so what I've done here is I've talked about the children, the teenagers, the young adults, the old-aged, and then the difficult situations. And as we learned last week, there are spiritual and material blessings that await the family that upholds the fifth commandment, the first commandment with a promise, longevity and prosperity for your family in the land. And I think there's some real practical ways to honor your parents. I'm just going to list a few of them 
before I close. One of the things my family's tried to do is when we're simple, when we're gathered on Father's Day, is the kids go around, we all go around and to give opportunity for them to talk about something they're thankful about with their grandpa. Okay, and then the kids talk about something they're thankful about, you know, towards me. And then the kids on Mother's Day, it's the same thing with their nana and their mom. And often there's, you know, we got a lot of girls, so there's often there's tears that are shed, right? But I think that's just a really practical way to, as opposed to be the family dinner table becoming a place where people are cut down, the family dinner table is a place where people are honored, and especially the parents. And then one thing that I was, I heard in a sermon years ago, must have been 10, 12 years ago, is the pastor said, you know, if you want to honor the fifth commandment, what you should do is you should list all the things that are honorable about your parents, that they taught you as a child. No matter how difficult they were to deal with, list them. And then put, it in, put the list in, in nice writing, and, and on top of it, say, things I'm thankful that mom and dad taught me. And then list them in nice you know, font, and then frame it and give it to them for a gift. And then they'll hang that on their wall, and they'll look on their wall, and they'll be able to see that their children honor them. I heard someone in a book I, re I recently listened to advise that what you should do, if it's, especially if it's difficult and you're dealing with bitterness, is, is write a letter to your parents. And, and the relationship is strained right now. Write a letter and list in the letter why you respect and love them. What, what is it that they did for you that benefited you? And, and then send it to them and see what happens. Pray that God blesses it. But remember, the fifth commandment isn't a do not commandment. It's a do commandment. So what you've got to do is you've got to figure out how not just to avoid dishonoring them, but you've got to figure out how do you actually go out of your way to honor them. And I've just given you three ways, but you're creative people and you can figure out some ways if you don't want to take the ways that I've done. But you've got to do something. Somehow you actually have to actively go out of your way to communicate honor to your mom and dad, and your family has to see it. And so how are you going to do that? Because that will be honor applied in your situation. Honor applied. Let's have prayer. Father, teach us to honor our mother and father that our days may be long in the land that the Lord our God has given, has, has given us. Forgive us for the times we don't, and please turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children, the hearts of the children towards the fathers. In Christ's name, amen.